We are continuing in Ephesians, and my title of this message is uh, Becoming the New You. And you guys realize, to become something new, you have to get rid of something, right? I mean, that's just kind of a reality. And as I was preparing this, I was remembering a show that Pastor Colleen and I used to watch uh, a number of years ago. Some of, maybe some of you guys did too. It was called What Not to Wear. Has anybody watched that when it was on? All right, there's a few of you guys. I mean, listen, it was a clean show, and, and how many of you know how rare that is these days? But what it was, and here's the thing, if you were a bad dresser, or maybe some people wear clothes that, that don't quite look right on them, or the style is so out, it was like, and so the, their family members that love them so much would video them in their outfits, send it to the show for them to critique that. Now, let me just say, if you've got family members videoing you and sending it to a show, you've got more problems than what you're wearing. <laughs> Am I right? Anyway, they would get these videos, and then they would come in, and these, uh, it's, uh, what I wrote down their names, I couldn't remember, Clinton and Stacy, and uh, they were like these hipster dressers, and what they would do is they would bring that person on, they would have to bring their entire wardrobe of clothes that they had, and uh, they would basically, this was the part that I really loved, they would go through all of their old clothes, kind of make fun of them, and, uh, and, and, and what they would end up doing is throwing all of it in a trash can, right? They were getting rid of it. I'm getting rid of your entire wardrobe into the trash can, and then they would take them to go shopping, $5,000 budget for new outfits. So, you know, that's not really a bad trade-off right there, but like I said, the comments were what was really funny, and what the host of the show understood, why they threw their clothes away, is that if you want to make a new fashion statement, you've got to start over. Right. You can't keep the old stuff because how many of you know human nature, you're eventually going to go back to it. Yeah. Right? That comfy sweater or shirt or whatever it's had. It's like, oh yeah, I got all this. But man, I just love this one. It's so nice on me. I know it's got stains and holes and... I used to have, uh, back when Colleen and I first got married, I had a Kenny Rogers uh, shirt that uh, was getting so thin you could almost see through it. And uh, she told me, you need to get rid of that. I'm like, I'm not getting rid of it. It's my, it's my shirt. And uh, one day I came and it was gone. <laughs> I don't know what happened to it. She doesn't know what happened to it, huh? And, uh, but I couldn't go back to it. it, had, it this, honestly, it had to go. All right, it had to go. So uh, that's just kind of, I think that that is true with our life in Jesus works the same way. If we, if we want to really have a new life with Jesus, then there's some of our, our old, not some, but all of our old life, that junk and crud has to go away, right? We have to change. And that's really, I believe what Paul is addressing when he's getting into Ephesians chapter four. And, and I'm not going to recover the background of what's going on in this letter. We know Paul's in prison. And, and he's already dealt with the division between the Jews and the Gentiles and uh, how they're all accepted. And uh, the Jews really did struggle with the Gentiles. And, and if you were a Gentile at this point, listening to this letter, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Because you're like, yeah, you know what, you Jews that didn't accept us, we are accepted by God. And uh, we can live however we want. And then all of a sudden, Paul, you know, gets to this verse right here in 17. And he says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And now they're like, oh, oh man, now he's getting on us. How many of you know uh, God is an equal opportunity offender? That's right. 
right? He will step on every one of our toes. Just when you're thinking, oh yeah, boy, he's really getting him, watch out because you're next, right? All of us need correction. All of us need change in your life. And so he's telling the Gentiles in the futility of your thinking, I love what the New Living Translation says on that. It says they are hopelessly confused. How many of you think sometimes our world is hopelessly confused? And here's the thing. The Ephesian church, uh, where it's situated, was a very evil, corrupt uh, lifestyles that were going on there. There was magic. There was sorcery. Uh, numerous temples to numerous gods and goddesses were there. Uh, so the church was basically surrounded by evil. Right? How many of you think that's kind of how the world is today? Right? Has anything changed? Nope. Not really. So Paul is basically telling... This new church, he goes, you guys can't keep living the way you're living. As a believer, as a Christian, you have to be different. There must be something. And here's the thing. Anyone who believes and put their trust in Jesus, how many of you know we're a part of the family of God? Amen. We're not separated from each other. He was dealing with that. But can I tell you, we absolutely are supposed to be different from the people around us that don't know Jesus. There should be something different. And let me just say this, not in a weird way. We're not supposed to, oh man, you guys are just weird. No, there should be something different. Jesus attracted people to him. And there should be enough Jesus in us that would draw people to us, not like uh, cause us to run away. You see, here's the thing. The Jews, they needed to stop identifying themselves as Jews. The Gentiles, gent- gentles, the Gentiles needed to stop identifying as Gentiles, because now both of these groups were now followers of Christ. Now they needed to identify. It's like my Gentile ways needed to go away with the paganism and all of that stuff. And even the Jews with their following the law and all of that stuff, all of that was passed. Now we're following Christ. And so both groups had to understand, I have to leave the past behind and I need to move on. Amen. So they were, they were all new. They all had to leave that behind. And so Paul tells them, I insist on it. You must no longer live as the Gentiles in the futility of their thinking. Then he says this, they are darkened in their understanding and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So in those two verses, verse 18 and 19, Paul's giving a description of a pattern of sin. It was the pattern of sin now. then. How many of you know it's still the pattern of sin now? And so if you have your notes, I'm going to give you some fill-ins in here and help you to understand how, how does the pattern of sin work in our life. And really, it's from these two verses. Number one is that your thinking is broken, right? What did he tell him? He goes, you are darkened in your understanding. If you're darkened, that means there are things that you don't know. You don't have an understanding there. You're confused. You don't know what's right. You're starting to believe lies. And uh, when you do that, your, your thinking is messed up. It's just a reality. You're looking at things through the wrong lens. You're making all kinds of mistakes. And, and here's the truth that, that is just true. Wrong living always starts with wrong thinking. Isn't that true? Yeah. Like if I'm thinking wrong, I'm going to begin to act wrong. It's a, sin always starts with a thought. It's not like, oops, I did it, right? It's not like knocking your milk over at the table. And sometimes, oh, I just made a mistake. 
No, there was something going on in your thinking, and that's just the reality. So when your thinking is broken, number second one is that you begin to cut yourself off from God and the life that God intends for you. Because what did the verse say? It says they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. So that's just a reality is that, that, that once my thinking is uh, messed up, eventually I'm going to cut myself off from God. God's not cutting you off. We do it ourselves. We're like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. I think this, this is what I want to believe, and I follow that. It's just a reality. And this is the stage that you've, maybe you've been there, maybe you've heard people, they'll say things like, well, I just can't sense God anymore. I don't sense his presence anymore. I don't hear his voice. Listen, when you get to that place, like you're in a service like, like this morning, I mean, did you guys feel the presence of the Lord? Hallelujah. Right? But if you're in that and you're running from God, you're separated. It's like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. You know, what, what are these people doing? I don't know what's going on. You may not have to be able to explain it. I remember this. This was years ago when we were in uh, Chico. We hosted international students. We had a teacher that was from China. His English was, eh, it wasn't great. But he came to service and, and, man, I mean, the presence of God was there. And at the end, he made this statement. He goes, I don't know what you guys were saying or doing. He goes, but I just felt something. And, uh, and, and that was enough for him. He felt the presence of God. And, and so that's a, you cut yourself off. So what happens? Once you're separated... Once you've cut yourself off, then you keep going downhill. How many of you know it's not like, you know what, I cut off and I just kind of went right here. It's like a, a train going up a hill. If you cut the boxcars off from the engine, guess what? They begin to slide all the way down, right? It's that, he said, the scripture said, a continual lust for more. You stop listening for the voice of truth. And, and listen, that's still true today. And when you get to that point, finally down, going down at the bottom of the hill, you become hard-hearted, no longer caring if, uh, if what you do is right or wrong. I'm just doing my thing. I don't really care. Don't tell me what's right. Don't tell me what's wrong. Listen, like I said, people that are hard-hearted, they can be in a room where God's moving and they can't sense nothing. Right? I don't hear nothing. One of my prayers, I'm going to tell you, one of my prayers is that my heart will stay tender to Him. Amen? Like, oh God, don't let me get hard-hearted. Because what happens, if my heart gets uh, uh, callous towards God, guess what? It gets callous towards other people. Right. I don't care about other people. I'm just worried about myself. No, I want to stay sensitive to God. I want to stay sensitive to others. And I understand that sin can cause my heart to be hard. The hard-hearted person, they no longer feel conviction of sin. Well, yeah, that's not a big deal. Sensitivity of God is gone. Ultimately, they reach that point where I just don't care. And, I mean, anybody ever look at the news and, like, wonder how evil happens? Yep. Like this, I mean, it doesn't matter what week I would have been able to preach this message. I would have had something on the news to reference, like, this past week, there was that random shooter in Raleigh, North Carolina. How many of you saw that on the news? <laughs> I mean, just randomly, no uh, anything about it. Not, it's not like I'm mad at anybody. I'm just shooting people. Have you ever thought, how does that happen? How do people even have that thought process in their mind? And the fact is, it's become so separated from God, they don't feel anything, right? The New Living Translation says that they've lost all shame. And, and they're just at that place. When that happens, when you're at that place that you don't even sense anything... Then we begin to overcompensate it like a drug addict does with a needing another hit. 
They're just looking for something, for anything, and any attempt to fill that emptiness with pleasure. But the thing is, whatever this world has to offer is never enough, is it? It's never enough. In our world today, people are looking for something that will make them feel good, make them look good, and and that pursuit of that uh, is never enough. Well, this wasn't enough. I tried this and I I got that, but that wasn't enough. So I'm going to try this over here. And what Paul is telling the Ephesian Christians at this point, it's not enough just to call yourself a Christian. It's not enough just to say, oh, I attend this church. I go to this church, right? How many of you know there are people that go to church that do not know Jesus, Right. right? Is that a shocker? There are people that are members of a church that do not know Jesus, it's not enough. It's not enough to say, ooh, I said a prayer of salvation, and, and maybe you even got baptized. That's not enough. You have to be different. I'm going to reference my shirt several times. There has to be change. Change has to happen in our life. If you're a follower of Jesus, Paul is basically saying it's time to act like it. It's time for you to begin to live it out. Don't just uh, live like those that are around you that are hardened by sin. There's enough people like that, right? So Paul goes on to say, he goes, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Then he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life. Let's all say this in yellow. Put off your old self. Amen. Let's say that again. Put off your old self. What's what's gone with our old self? It's being corrupted by its deceitful desires. My sin, my deceitful desires, the things that I want that are not good for me are, are corrupting me, and he's telling you to put it off, right? We've got to take it off. And then he says to be made new in the attitude of your mind, so that's getting with your thinking again, right? And to put on the new self. So let's all say that, put on the new self. So I'm taking off the old self, and I'm putting on the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, right? Now, some of us have done that once, right? How many of you know this is not a one-time deal? Because I don't know, maybe I'm different, but sometimes that old Scott that I put off wants to come back. Anybody else have that problem, right? Like, like, oh man, I'm serving the Lord, things are good, and somebody cuts you off in traffic, and all of a sudden old, old Scott comes knocking back. Hey, you know what to do. You know how to take care of this. You speed up, right? You cut them back off. So, so here's the thing. I've got to put off my old self on a regular basis. Sometimes it's a daily basis. Didn't the Apostle Paul say, I die how often? Daily, daily right? It's a daily. Sometimes it's an hourly and a minute-by-minute thing. Am I right? Yep. Right? So, so it, we've got to constantly. This isn't a bad thing to say, you know, every day I need to put off that old self. Like when I get up out of bed in the morning, I've got to ask myself, who's getting up, old me or new me, right? Because if I'm waking up grumpy and angry and ready to, you know, bite somebody's head off, I need to go back to bed. It's not a matter of getting up on the wrong side of the bed. It's a matter of you letting the wrong person get up. Don't, it doesn't matter if you roll over to the other side and get up. You've got to put that one down. I'm putting that one off and God, I'm putting you on. I'm walking in the fullness of Jesus today. Because here's the truth. Once you become a Christian and that decision, how many of you know Jesus does bring hope, help, and healing? Amen? Are you thankful for hope? Are you thankful you have hope? Aren't you thankful that God helps us and He heals us? 
Yes, I'm thankful for all of that. But listen, we have to be careful when we're communicating to other people not to sell this as the whole deal. Right? Oh, this is, you know, get hope, help, and healing. You can get it with Jesus. That's true. But listen, we have a responsibility to change our thinking and our behavior. Right? It goes beyond that. How many of you know Jesus is not just a life enhancement pill for you? Right? Let me, let me get my Jesus vitamin and, and, oh man, life is so much better. I got hope, help, and healing, and I'm going, I'm going good. No, it's more than that. Right? We have a responsibility. Following Jesus requires true, lasting, here's my shirt, change. Right? A true, lasting change. If I'm really going to follow Jesus, it, he's not just like an addition to my life. I've got to actually change my life. Right? And he's the one that helps us. Following Jesus requires a total makeover, right? A whole new you. Uh, here's the good news. Jesus doesn't come just to come and put your broken life together, right? Like Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. and they, All they couldn't put him back together, right? It's like, get rid of that eggshell. God's given us something better. Right? He's coming to give us a whole new way of life. And let's be honest, some of you would agree with me, your old life wasn't worth anything anyway. It didn't work right. It didn't do the right things. The thinking was horrible. The actions were horrible. The speak, uh, all of its habits, all of that had to go. Those things used to define you. Right? When you become new in Christ, they don't define you anymore. Now, some people may try to define you that way, but listen, you're new in Jesus. And when you're new in Jesus, you have to uh, put on what's new. I have to take off what's old. If I want to be new, and that means mean pouring out your alcohol. It may mean crumpling up your cigarettes, and it's like, well, cigarettes? Cigarettes aren't going to send me to hell. They may not send you to hell, but how many of you heard it might make you smell like it? <laughs> Am I right? I'm just saying, right? It, it, it may not send you there, but who does that more identify you with, your old person or your new? Right? I've got to get rid of that. That may mean changing the way I speak. Right? That might mean finding new friends. Listen, if you've got friends that keep dragging you down, it's time to find different friends. Right. Am I right? So uh, the old you wasn't working, so why would we want to go back to what wasn't working? Right? We don't want to go back there. We realize that people, sometimes people, when they become a follower of Christ, we keep enough of that old just in case I've got something to go back to. Let, let me keep, you know, like, like going back to that show, let me keep a couple of those shirts right there. No, throw it all in the dumpster, and once it's in the dumpster, don't ever go dumpster diving for that old stuff again. Right? I know it's in here somewhere, right? Where's it at? Where's that attitude that I had? No, get rid of all of it. And so Paul is saying, no more Jews, no more Gentiles, you're all new in Christ. Amen. Right? Same thing with us. People that see your life... They should be able to look at your life and how you act, how you talk, and see something different. Right? Not like, oh, oh, he's got a Christian t-shirt on. He must be a Christian. No, it's not by the clothes we wear that people should be able to tell. They should be able to tell by our words and by our actions. That make sense? Things should change. Uh, what kind of change? I'm going to first say right now, they're not outward, they're inward. How many of you know inward will eventually affect your outward, right? But Paul is dealing with some inward things right here. He goes into verse 25. Therefore, each of you must... There's that put off again, right? Put off falsehood and speak truthfully. So I'm taking off falsehood and I'm putting on truth. 
to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So the old you was a liar. The new you begins to speak truth. Oh, there we go. Right there. Speaks truth. So we've got to take off lives and put off. And, and here's the thing, because I know a lot of people are really good at this thing called technically true. How many of you have ever heard of that? Yeah. Right? Like something, we're, we're really good at that. Like, like you hear somebody say, did, did you just say that Billy was a jerk? And they'll respond like, no, I didn't say Billy was a jerk. Well, I thought I heard you say Billy was a jerk. No, what I said was Billy was a total jerk. <laughs> right? So technically, it's true. I didn't say Billy was a jerk, right? And, and so we like to, like, you didn't quote me exactly. So technically, uh, that's still a lie. Right? Uh, or I'll be there to help you. I, didn't you say you were going to come help me? Well, I didn't say that. I said, pretty sure I'll be able there. Right? We're not quoting. And it, it may not be the technical truth. How many of you know sometimes we tell half-truths? Yeah. Right? I didn't lie. I just told part of the truth. How many of you know a half-truth is still a lie? Yeah. Right? Anything that you and I say that makes somebody believe anything other than the truth, can we just put that? That's a lie category. Yeah. Right? Well, technically, half, none of that. we got to put it off, right? Let me just say this. If people have to investigate... What you said to see if it's true, how many of you know it's probably a lie, right? You shouldn't have to do an investigation to see that. We are truth tellers. The old us is a liar. Uh, the new us is truth tellers. We speak that, right? Let's look at verse 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. I'm just going to say this is one of the most misrepresented verses in the Bible. People that have anger problems see this and say, great, I can be angry and not sin. All right? What does that look like? That's what I want to say. What, what does that look like? I want you to understand that as a human being, God created us with these emotions. We cannot stop that rush of anger that comes into our life sometimes when circumstances, situations, or you happen to watch news. All right? Anybody, let me just say, raise your hand. If you ever gotten upset by watching something on news... Oh, man, my hand's up, right? And it's like, you, those feelings are going to come because, yes, you are human, but here's the thing. If you hang on to that anger, if you keep it alive, eventually it turns into this thing called bitterness. Right? If you hang on to your anger and you, hang on, and you don't do anything about it, can I just say this? There's nothing uglier than a bitter Christian. I don't know any at our church, you know, they all go to those other churches, but uh, it's just a reality. Angry bitterness is not consistent with the Christ-focused life. The picture of what's going on here in this scripture is that somebody uh, responds, you know, you get that response, that anger that comes in, and what happens is if you can't control that impulse, then it becomes sin. If you can't do something about it, but you can control it, and the deal is, in your anger, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. He's saying, deal with it that day. Amen. Right? You felt the anger. You felt the frustration. Maybe somebody, maybe you said something and offended them in response to your anger. You deal with it right then. You go make it right with them. You go deal with your own attitude in your home. Maybe you're just like mad and you're just keeping it to yourself. Deal with it right? Make sure that you do something about it. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let that anger carry over into day two. 
Because what's happened is if you carry it into day two, how many of you know it's much easier to carry it into day three? And then day four, and then day five. And next thing you know, that thing has been brewing in you long enough that you're just bitter and angry. You're just, you're, that's just kind of who you are. That's not what we're supposed to do. The sun shouldn't go down. The old you was driven and controlled by your temper, but number two in your notes, the new you is self-controlled. Amen? Everybody say, I'm self-controlled. Right? I can do that. Uh, a fruit of the Spirit, right? It's interesting how many of those fruits keep coming up in, our, in messages, right? Now, there was a study done by the National Institute of Health. They surveyed 34,000 adults, and they found that 10% of Americans claim that they lose their temper to the point that they lose control. Right? Anger controlled by little things becomes frequent temper outburst or anger that leads to a loss of control by hitting, throwing things. Now... I don't believe that survey, right? I think that number is way low. I don't know if they did that 100 years ago or something, uh, but the world we live in today is very angry, very offended, yep. right? I, I got to believe that that number is way higher than that, especially if you just look at the last two and a half years, right? Since the pandemic, politics, war in Ukraine, uh, gas prices, all of this stuff is going on. And, and I think people that at one time were rational people have become very angry. Yep. Families have been divided. Isn't that true? I, you don't have to raise your hand. Friendships were lost. I mean, I, I bet you almost everybody in this room, you've lost that because of, of, of the anger that people have. And here's the thing. Even people at one time were seemed unreasonable. How many of you know they're now ballistic? Right? So it has risen across... People lose their temper with politicians. Don't raise your hand. They've gotten uh, angry at pastors. Please don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. If you're mad at me, you're probably not here anyway. So uh, uh, people get mad at police officers. They've gotten mad at their doctors. They're mad at the media. They're, they get mad at the clerks at Walmart, servers at restaurants, right? They didn't bring my drink fast enough delivery drivers, where'd they put my package at? Uh, people get mad at their kids, and like I said, we're all kind of mad about gas prices, am I right? So, so that, is, that is the world that we live in. I mean, when you go to fill up your gas and you just spent 100 bucks in your car, you're like, what in the world is going on? So here's the thing. The Bible has a lot to say about people that lose their temper. Psalms 37, 8 and 9, it says, Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. Look what it says. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Now, as I was reading and going over my sermon, this message this morning, I read this thing off of, uh, off of the news, and it was uh, two uh, dads in a road rage on the eastern coastline. Some of you guys may have heard it. They got into basically a gunfight, and both of them shot the other person's daughter in their cars. Yeah. How many of you know, uh, turn from your rage, do not lose your temper, it only leads to harm. Right. Now, both of the girls survived, uh, but how many of you know, that's horrible. Those two families will be torn apart from this point forward, all right, without Christ coming in, simply because somebody cut them off or break-checked or whatever. Uh, listen, that's never a good thing. Lord, help me to control my anger, amen? amen. What does it say in James? Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. We read that all the time. We've heard that, right? But look what he says in verse 20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness 
that God desires. Doesn't produce it. Your anger is not going to bring about God's will. That's what he's basically saying there. You want to accomplish God's will, you better get control of your anger. Right? There's, there's a verse that, that as Christians we like to quote a lot, especially when we look at our land. 2 Corinthians 7.14. Does anybody know how that starts? If? 2 Chronicles. Or 2 Chronicles. That's what, I, that's what I meant, right? It's kind of the same. Just different uh, testaments. Anyway. If my people humble themselves, pray, seek my face, yeah, turn from their wicked ways and seek my face and get angry... Oh, wait a minute, the angry part's not in that, is it? Isn't it interesting? We want God to heal our land, but we're not willing to deal with our anger. Oh, God, I'm humbling myself. I'm seeking you. Oh, man, I'm so mad at this person and that person in this situation. Oh, but God, heal our land. No, anger needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with, right? We need to get control of it. Uh, next one, Ecclesiastes 7, 9, control your temper. For anger labels you a fool. Ow. You think that's bad? What do you see the picture I put up here? <laughs> I mean, haven't you seen somebody with out-of-control anger and you just kind of shake your head like, what is wrong with that person, right? Until you're the one that's showing that kind of anger and you see people shaking their head. Oh, great. You know what? This must be me, right? I'm getting, we just make a fool about ourselves. So here's the principle. When you lose your temper, you lose. Right? You lose. I mean, there, there, there is no upside to your anger. When you lose, you lose friendships. You lose relationships. You lose your influence. And most, uh, or the worst of all, is that you lose your testimony. Right? You're wanting to show people Christ, but it's like, man, your anger just blew all of that, right? Every time, here's a reality. Every time you lose your temper, what we're doing is taking off Jesus and we're putting back on our old self, right? When he told us to do the exact opposite. So here's the thing. And once we do that, once we've taken off our own self, and that's why I said, don't give the devil a foothold. We're giving the devil a foothold and opens the door for the enemy to once again define us by our sin and begin to control us. So don't do it, right? Don't give the devil that opportunity. And you're like, oh, but Pastor Scott, you don't understand my temperament. You know, you don't, this is how God created me. Or you don't understand. You, maybe you're like, you're, you're so easygoing. You just don't understand me. Listen, the problem is not your personality. It's not the circumstances that we live in. It's our own lack of self-control. All right? That's the bottom line. It's that missing fruit of the Spirit that is supposed to be a part of the new us. And so I've got to grow in it. I've got, there's no other way around it. It's like, oh, you know what? You know, my wife is Irish, and they are, oh, the fighting Irish, right? I've got to fight, right? No, 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 it's not any of that. I've got to grow in my self-control. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's move on. Uh, Ephesians 4.28, it says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with others in need. So the old you was a taker. Am I right? What can I get? What can I get? What can I get? Every opportunity. What are you going to give me? What are you going to do here? What are you going to do here? And, and it's interesting that Paul says the opposite of stealing is to do what? What's this four-letter word some people don't like? Work and to share. Right? The opposite of being a taker is to begin to work and to begin to share. So the new you is speaks truth, self-controlled, and shares, 
right? We share. Someone who has put on Jesus is generous with our time, with our money, with our possessions, with our attention, and we look for opportunities to share and to care for other people. How many of you know that stands out, right? A person like that stands out. Here's the dynamics of a person. A taker looks for people to give to them. Who's going to give to me? Who's going to give to me? And they like to tell their sad stories around people hoping that they'll give to them. Am I right? Like, oh, yeah, I got this going on and this happening. Like, I hope somebody gives to me. A sharer looks for opportunities to give to other people. All right? We're looking for those opportunities. A taker waits for people to check on them, call them, and encourage them. Like, I mean, people have gotten upset and left the church. Nobody called me. Nobody encouraged me. Nobody built me up. Nobody checked on me. Uh, how many of you know, how, why don't you turn the table, be a sharer, and look to encourage other people? Begin to call other people. Man, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. I'm going to give them a call because I've missed them. Check on other people. I mean, it's amazing when you begin to position yourself as a sharer, how much other people are going to be looking for you and taking care of you, right? It's just a natural thing that happens, and, and it stands out. Let me tell you, people that check on other people stand out. Am I right? Uh, you think about it, and he, I, I'm using somebody's example, and he wasn't expecting me to, but I'm doing it anyway. Uh, last Wednesday, after Wednesday night service was over, I got a call from Dennis, and, uh, and he, I'm like, oh, hi. And he's like, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. He goes like, that sounds like a pat answer. Are you really okay? And uh, so he was checking on me. And I want to tell you, I appreciate that. It, it, it makes a difference when we are checking on one another and seeing how we go. And, and that just tell, tells me that, you know what? Uh, Dennis is a sharer, not a taker. Why haven't you called me? Why haven't you checked on me? Why haven't you done that? Listen, I, I believe there's so many of you guys that are so amazing at that, uh, but it's like we need to turn the table and say, I'm going to become a sharer. I'm going to begin to look out for other people rather than waiting for people to look out for me. Amen? All right, now we're getting to the more difficult spot right here, verse 29. Uh, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So, now just a warning, okay, this is Paul, actually the Holy Spirit stepping on your toes, not me. Uh, But this is a high standard, isn't it? Bad language should never come out of the mouth of a Christian because it's out of character with who we are. Inappropriate jokes... Oh man, pastor, don't, 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 you know, it's okay if I tell the joke out in the parking lot, I just don't tell it in the church. (laughs) What about profanity, right? Oh, don't get it, don't go, because we kind of classify curse words, don't we? We got, oh, we got the soft curse words that aren't that big of a deal, but then I don't do the really hard ones, right? Do you think God has a distinction there? Right? And again, like, oh, I won't do it in the church, but you know what? I get out to the parking lot, it's different. How many of you realize it doesn't matter where you're at, you're in the church because you are the church? When, when, when we leave this building and nobody's in this building, this is a building. We are the church. We all understand that, right? So if you're saying it in your neighborhood, at your work, at the water cooler, wherever it is, you're saying it in the church. God hears that. How many of you know it's an oxymoron to say you're a cussing Christian? Think about it. And, and, and I, I've talked about this before, so I don't want to like harp on it, but 
I, I think we need to check ourselves because we've, what is the scripture? Don't let any unwholesome talk. Now, those are just things that come out. What about uh, somebody that uses words to tear down others? That's unwholesome. All right, when I begin to tear others down, it's, again, it's inconsistent with the new you. And so the new you builds people up, doesn't tear them down. When, here's the thing. When angry, hateful, ugly words are replaced with helpful, encouraging words of love and kindness, how many of you know people in your life are going to notice? Like, man, you just used to be so angry and just ugly and all that, and now you're, like, encouraging me? I mean, the first they're going to be like, what's wrong with you? Right? What's wrong with you? And you're like, oh, Jesus, you know what? Jesus has gotten into my life, and now he can't help but come out of my life. Amen? Everybody's going to notice. Someone who has put on Jesus is always aware of the impact of our words. How's this going to land? I, let me tell you, I've been careless with a lot of my words throughout my life and didn't realize how they were going to land on somebody else. I want to tell you, I'm more careful now. I'm more careful realizing that they may land and hurt in a wrong way because I do believe what Proverbs says, the tongue has the power in life and death. We believe that, right? We believe that. Uh, the reality is words that come out of our mouth can hurt people or words can bring healing to people. Right? Our words can bring hope to somebody, or we've got the ability to crush people's dreams with our words. We can tear people down, or we can build them up. We can damage and destroy situations, or we can bring confidence to people. And, and, and here's the thing. Bullies use words to destroy the self-worth of other people, to try to bring them down. As a believer, as a follower of Christ, we should use words to restore people's self-worth. And their confidence. Words, words are remembered. How many of you guys remember words that were spoken over you years ago? Good words and bad words. We remember those things that were spoken. And so my encouragement is let the memory of your words be gentleness, kindness, and love. Right? When people remember a conversation that you have today with somebody, 20 years down the road, like, oh, man, I remember when so-and-so spoke uh, an encouraging word to me. I remember when they built me up. I remember when they spoke this love to me. Let me tell you, they go on and on, don't they? And they don't just go out of your mouth and dissipate into nowhere. They will last. And so I don't want my angry, ugly words to come out. God, help me to speak the right words. Amen? Amen. So uh, Psalms 19:14, David says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Can you imagine if all Christians got this right? Think about that. If everybody, let me, let me go this a step further. Can you imagine if every Christian applied that to their social media? Got quiet, right? I know, I know. I've been told I harp on social media a lot. Anybody feel like that? Oh, here he is bringing that up again. Can I tell you why I do that? Because like the last 10 or 15 years, uh, social media has become a major form of communication, yeah. right? I mean, if you imagine Elon Musk is willing to pay to buy Twitter for $44 billion, why would he do that if communication online wasn't so important, right? And it's a big deal because whatever generation you're a part of, I want to explain to you why, because if you're an older generation... Research shows that young people increasingly see little division between somebody's online and their in-person self. Yeah. What they see online, they think that's that person. 
So if you're posting angry, mean, uh, harsh situations online, guess what? Somebody that's younger generation, oh, that's that person. Watch out for that person. That's how they act. That's how they are. It's no wonder that we see an increase in inappropriate behavior among our young people when our older generation models it for them. What's going on is that we're reaping what we've sown. And we get mad. We get mad sometimes because we see kids today don't respect authority, right? Anybody? They don't respect any authority. And at the same time on your social media, you're slamming every authority in your life. I mean, think about that, right? Why would they be any different than you, right? And you might think, Mom, my outburst, it was just a post or it was a funny thing. But it's the same thing to the younger generation, So yes, I harp on it, but there's a reason because our communication, whether it comes out of our mouth or it goes through our fingertips on our social media, it is a matter. Let your words, let me, let me back up. Well, even let me just stay with that one. May the words of my mouth and the typing on my computer, right? And and the meditation be pleasing in your sight. So here, I'm not trying to throw a blanket of water on you or anything like that, but I want us to understand how important our words are and how that communicates, amen? Amen. We must reflect Jesus in any form of communication that we have, amen? All right, I'll move on. So uh, (laughs) keep it going, all right. Here's the thing, and I don't think it's a mistake that right after Paul talks about our words, he says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The word grieve there really means exactly what you think it means. It means sad. We can make the Holy Spirit sad by our actions, right? By the way that we choose to live. I I read one person said this, all sin is painful to God, but sin in his children break his heart. When his children refuse to change the ways of their old life for their new, God grieves. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to grieve God. I don't want to make God sad. I I don't want my actions. I don't want my attitudes. I don't want any of that uh, to grieve the Lord. So uh, Paul goes on because he's like, in case you guys didn't get what I just said, he reemphasizes it in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. That's an interesting word. That simply means any other kind of evil. Right? Basically, he's saying, in case I didn't happen to cover your area, I'm including all of it. Anything that has to deal with your old life, we need to get rid of it. It needs to go away, be done with it, and not let it be seen in us again. Right. And he says, instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave us. So number five, the new you is kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Isn't that the proper response to God's forgiveness is that I extend forgiveness to others? And not just ones that I want to forgive. Not just those that have apologized. Well, I'll forgive them when they apologize. How many of you know there's going to be a lot of people you're never going to forgive if that's the case? And if that's the case, there's a lot of bitterness you're going to carry around. No. Forgiveness, you extend it to others. So let's look at this whole five points right there together. I've got it all in one, one complete sentence and see, how, see if, that identi- if you identify with that or if there's an area that maybe you need to grow in. 
It says, the new me is a self-controlled truth-teller who generously shares, builds people up, is kind, compassionate, and forgiving. I don't know. I want that to identify. I want to be able to identify with that. Like, like if I have a tombstone, like Pastor Scott, or, well, I won't be pastor then. I'll just be Scott Williams was self-controlled truth-teller who generously shared, built people up, was kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Amen? Isn't that a good way to... That's what the church... Can you imagine if, if, if the church all acted like that? If that was our identification? Let me tell you, the world would change. People would be drawn to that. Think about in your employers, you know, neighbors, family members. We would make an impact in our world if we, if we would choose to do that. And Paul's challenging it. And today, Paul's challenging us through me. The Holy Spirit used Paul to use me to and challenge us to walk in this way. We should be different if we are a follower of Christ. So here's the, the last principle is if Jesus is on the inside, remember the change has to happen on the inside. If it does, then that's going to transform the outside. Right. right? If I really if the way that you react and treat people don't cha- doesn't change, then uh, that means that there's something wrong on the inside. If I'm still uh, on the outside, a mean, angry, bitter, hurtful, self-absorbed individual, then that means something on the inside is not right. Something is not going on there. Something is wrong uh, on the inside. And let me just let you guys know, I kind of said it a minute ago, not everyone who attends church has put Jesus on the inside. Not every, Sometimes you hear people say, oh, you know what, that person, you know, they were so mean and they're a Christian. And they're supposedly serving God. There's people that won't come to church because of bad examples. And so the reality is just because somebody comes to a church, maybe they've picked a label, a Christian, it doesn't mean they have Jesus on the inside. Because if they did, the outside would change. Things on the outside. So instead of overreacting and people saying, oh, I'm not going to go to church because of that, we just need to begin to pray for people to get more Jesus on the inside right don't make your decisions about jesus based on how those that don't follow him act if jesus is on the inside how many of you know it's going to reflect in how we love people it's going to reflect in how what we do with our money how we talk to people how we handle our anger and we're going to handle it right it's going to uh, it's going to be reflected in how we respond when things don't go your way can i just ask has anything in life not gone your way pretty much everything. (laughs) Am I right? How many of you know life is not Burger King, right? You can't get it your way. You got to deal with it the way McDonald's gets it. I don't care if you order it special, you're getting it the way they give it to you. Am I right? So uh, just realize you live in a McDonald's world, not a Burger King world. So uh, when Jesus changed, when, when, when things don't go my way, I have to be able to say, okay, I'm not going back to the old me and to respond to that. I'm not going to act that way anymore because I want to reflect Christ. So that means the new me has to shift. The new me has to begin to think differently and, and, uh, and begin to ask, act differently. Can I have everybody stand? So I want to pray for you today. First thing that I want to do, if you don't have Jesus on the inside, how many of you know that's the first step? I got to make a fresh commitment to Christ I've got to say, maybe you've done it before, maybe you've never done it before, but, but today, can I just have everybody with your eyes closed and heads bowed? 
And if you're here today and say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I want to accept Christ today. I want to make a fresh start in him. If that's you, can just raise your hand and you can put it back down. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Can we all just say this prayer together? And I know I may sound like a broken record, but I'm going to say it anyway. If it just comes out of your mouth and it's not coming out of your heart, how many of you know it doesn't do any good? Right? It's got to come from your heart. But if you'll say that and you say, I really want you, Jesus, let, let's just say this. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to give me a completely different life that I can put off my old self. And Lord, I can become something new in you that's full of love, compassion, and mercy. So Lord, forgive me of my sin and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to pray also. So number one, if you made that prayer, you're in the kingdom of God. All right, you don't have to become a member. You don't have to jump through any hoop or anything like that. You are new in him, amen? But for others, I want to pray, maybe you've struggled going back to the old man time every now and then. You don't have to raise your hand because I know that's probably all of us. My hand would be up on that, right? Sometimes that old man, that old sweatshirt that I threw away years ago, I, I'm like, oh man, I want to put that thing back on. It keeps coming back, right? So I want to pray that, that, that if you're struggling in any area, any of those areas that we talked about, let me, let me put it back on that. And you're saying, God, I want to, I, I'm, I'm ready to put my anger in control. Lord, help me to have self-control. Lord, help me to check the words that come out of my mouth. Help me use my words to build people up and not tear them down. Lord, help me to begin to walk in forgiveness and in truth. Lord, help me to speak truth. No more half-truths, no more technical truths, but Lord, help me to begin to speak truth because all of that together is a reflection of who you are. If that's you, then, then, then Lord, I just pray for, for each one that is here, Lord God, that is saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Can you just say that? If that's you, just say, Lord, help me. Help me to walk, Lord God. Help us to walk in the way that you have set before us. Lord, we confess we cannot do it on our own. Lord, the fruit of self-control is a fruit of your Holy Spirit. So we have to have your Holy Spirit working in our life, Lord God, for us to do it. It's not about white-knuckling it and trying to be just a good person. Lord, we've all failed at that. Lord, we've all come short of that. Lord God, we can't do it. We're just going to put on a facade if that's the case. So Lord, we're not, we're not looking for just an outward change. Lord, we're looking for inward change. Lord, help us to become that new person. And Lord, the more that you have control in our life, Lord, the more the outward stuff will begin to change. So Lord, let us not focus so much on the outward. Let us focus on that inward. Holy Spirit, work in our lives. Holy Spirit, begin to, to do that new work in me again. Maybe you've just kind of gotten a little bit hard-hearted just kind of allow things back into your life. Lord, I pray that you would begin to soften hearts again. Lord, I pray that you begin to soften our heart again. Lord, you've done it before. Lord, you can, you, where we have allowed calluses to come on. Lord, we've allowed things to get on us, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you begin to remove calluses today. Lord, you begin to remove some of that, that that stuff has made me hard to you and hard to other people. Lord, soften our hearts in you, O oh God.